Our scripture message tonight is from the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, verses 5 through, 15, 5 through 18. Hear now the word of God. For it was not angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we were speaking. It has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you even care for him. You made him for a little while lower than the angels. And you have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of his death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers, saying, I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, once more, behold, I and the children God has given to me. Since, therefore, the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil." And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect. So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. To make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Here ends the word. Let us pray. Father God, when we come before the word of God, you are able to give us a taste of heaven, a window into your goodness and your glory and your love. Through the power of the Spirit, Lord, use this word in order that we might see more clearly how gracious and good you have been to us through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Ever since 2001, the year of September 11th, Gallup polling, they have decided to, at the end of the year, take a survey and survey 
uh, America's general well-being, more specifically, their mental well-being. And so they ask across all demographics. They ask men, they ask women. They ask Republicans, they ask independents. They ask Democrats. They ask weekly churchgoers. They will ask casual churchgoers. They ask the married, the unmarried. They ask different age ranges, different financial in, uh, incomes, the, low, the middle class, the, the, those in poverty, those in the upper echelons of the income brackets. And overall, Americans in general, for the 18 years of the survey, have proven to be fairly even keel. Really, all they've done is Republicans are a little happier when a Republican's in office, and Democrats are a little more depressed, and vice versa. But overall, for 18 years, America has been in the 80 percentile range of saying 80% of people say, my mental health is excellent. I'm doing great or doing really well with this poll. And if we think about this, this poll has survived several experiences. September 11th, the Iraq war, the, the, the housing crash, the crash of the stock market. It's, it's had Republican presidencies and Democratic presidencies. And yet, very little has changed until, of course, the bottom fell out in 2020. There was essentially, across the board, in every demographic but one, people reporting in double-digit numbers that they are far more depressed this year, that their mental well-being is is not doing well in 2020. All but one. Even the casual churchgoer, they reported 12% decline in mental well-being. And so there was only one group that reported to be happier at this moment, right now in 2020, than compared to this time last year in 2019. And who was this group? Who was this group of gluttons of punishment? Who was the segment of people that actually found more reason to be happy in 2020? Are they the people without cable TV? Are they the people that avoided those maddening 24-7 news networks? Are they the crazy preppers out in the forest that, and have been in the woods and finally say, yes, this is what I've been ready for? preparing for? Is it the executives in Pfizer and Moderna and all these vaccines that, oh, the hefty sum of money we're going to make? Or is it those toilet paper tycoons and, and hand sanitizers tycoons and those face mask people? No, it's not any of them. No, they're, they're also reporting that they're not doing well. Yet, there's one group, one group that actually reports that this year they are more happy, more content, doing better in their life than this time last year. And it's those crazy people who go to church week in and week out and faithfully live life 
based on the Lord and his design. Throughout this country, on this evening, American churches are gathering in what has been often called this year non-essential services. And yet those who have continued on in faith, this major segment of America report to be more satisfied, more mentally healthy than last year. And why is that? It's because of the child who has come. That's really the answer, because of the child. Now over the last several weeks, we've talked about quite a few children coming in the Old Testament. For instance, we began with Moses, and and Moses really entered into the world during the first Jewish Holocaust. What an awful time. Pharaoh was wiping out a people based on who they were, systematically. And yet, Scripture tells us that Moses' parents decided to have their child anyway because they did not fear Pharaoh. And God blessed their faith and set through the mirac- a series of miraculous events. That child that they decided to deliver together ultimately would deliver them. And also Moses was educated in the wisdom of the Egyptians. He was given the greatest teachers of his time. And he becomes the first person, the first prophet ever to write down scripture for us writing for himself the first five books of Scripture and also the the Psalms. So God has worked through the gifts of miraculous children. We also looked at the birth of Isaac. And Isaac was born from well-to-do parents. Abraham and Sarah were wealthy for their time. Some of the wealthiest people in the world. They enjoyed a great prosperity. They had means. And God was with them intimately. But lingering in the background was the sorrow of never having a child that they could call jointly their own. And over the decades, especially Sarah, she had grown bitter to this reality. And so much so that by the time God came to Abraham and Sarah to tell them they would have a son, Sarah was openly mocking God and scoffing at him. And yet a year later, we find the most unique Old Testament nativity scene when God comes to see them again, when they have their child, when they have their Isaac, whose name means laughter. We also looked at the birth of Samuel and his mother Hannah. And at the time of Samuel's life, not only was Israel um, spiritually in a bad state, its priesthood was in a terrible state. So much so that the high priest Eli was mocking Hannah, when she was praying, thinking, doubting that she was actually genuinely praying to the Lord, he called her a drunk. But no, she was praying for a son. She desired a son, and she asked God to set apart that son as holy, consecrating him. And he became a great high priest in a hard day. And lastly, our series from the previous weeks, we looked at Samson. And Samson lived at the time of Judges. A time where the book often reminds us there was no king in Israel in those days and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Whatever felt right. Sounds like a time we might be in as well. And God allowed the Philistines 
to rule over parts of Israel for 40 years in judgment because they were not living by the wisdom of his word until God finally came to a barren family who was without child and really without hope. And he gave, they gave them a son who through God's blessing would unseat the Philistines' power over Israel once more. So in all four sermons leading up to this Christmas Eve service, we've encountered people in despair, aching people, hurting people in horrible moments in history. People who would have been ripe to tell the own ancient Gallup version of uh, news and polling in their own day uh, to, to tell them, I'm not doing well in the ancient world. This world is awful right now. And yet through the power of God, God sent a child to them. And that child came to, to all of them. And things began to change for them through that child and get better. And so we can see the blessing of a child, how a blessing of a child can give joy to the weary and heavy laden, to those enduring suffering when, they are guided by, when that child is guided by the hand of God. But those four children I talked about, their joy had a temporary aspect to it. I mean, in the year of our Lord 2020, while I love Moses, I love Isaac, I love Samuel and Samson, nothing they did in their lives in themselves alone can get me to tell Gallup poll if they ever call our household, that I'm happier today because of them than I was last year at this time. And by the way, I really am, because I think this year has offered a unique opportunity for us to all grow in reliance upon the Lord. The life of Moses can't do that for me. The life of Isaac can't do that for me. Neither can the life of Samuel or Samson. None of those children can lead me to a place where I can say, I'm a better, in a better place today than I was a year ago, before COVID, before fires in Australia and the western United States, before Iran and the U.S. went to the brink of war, before the stock market crash and the fluctuation since, before the toilet paper shortage, before the unemployment rate, before the identity politics getting out of hand, before the locust swarms in Africa and Asia, before Antifa, before the chaotic presidential election, before murder hornets, before a whole host of other things that I could have added. Moses, Isaac, Samuel, and Samson, as great as they are, are not enough to tell, get me to tell anyone that I'm doing better today than I was a year ago. Only one child's coming can. He's the outlier. And it is the child we especially remember on Christmas Eve, the Emmanuel, Jesus Christ, who is the Savior of the world. The unique reality of the Christian faith is the fact that God became a child. He became like us, taking on frailty and the fragility of humanity in this thing called human life so that death could be a promotion for us. For the faithful Christian who has been told time and time again this year, you might die 
that this life is a fleeting thing. If you take one misstep with this virus, you're, you're going to possibly lose your life. You, the faithful Christian, are best prepared to stare down even death itself and say, oh, death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? Because we know the child who delivers us from every kind of hardship, even our sins and death itself. The child who allows us to say alongside the Apostle Paul to live as Christ and to die as gain. God took on frail humanity so that he might become this giver of life for us and so that we could stand up like he did, becoming little Christ in the face of hardships, struggles, fears, and even death. In verses 5 through 9 of our Hebrews passage, God's word hints to a future world where God will no longer need angels to watch over man, but through this child who was given, it will be a world where God personally reigns over us. And even verse 8 hints to the fact that God has ordered all things to be in subjection to him so that everything we experience, everything we encounter are for his purposes. These early verses of our passage make clear that Christians are ruled by a God who for a little while allowed himself to become weak and mortal and suffering and and to suffer as a person so that through his strength he might lift us up to salvation. But how can we have such an inheritance and a promise? Verses 10 through 13 show us the hope we now enjoy in the life to come came and continues forward in this life through the instrument of suffering. First, by Christ's suffering, the preacher of Hebrews says in verse 10, you want to know why the child came? It was so that he might suffer for your sake. And through his suffering, both in life and death, he now has accomplished for us in that suffering for our sins, for our sake, salvation. No other false prophetic idea of God, no other false God offers that kind of salvation. A salvation given by God suffering for you. Christians uniquely enjoy a relationship with their God like unlike any other, as verse 12 points out. There is something we can uniquely sing about, and part of our call is to teach others to sing about the glories of Christ. So let us be found teaching others to sing along with us about Christ's salvation. But even more than that, the final verses point out, verses 14 through 18 in our text, Jesus' suffering for us makes our God a personable God who we can go to boldly when we suffer, when we struggle, when we have hardships. And so... Why are faithful church-attending Christians, the Gallup poll outlier of 2020, being a happier people as a collective than we were a year ago? It's not because Christians were spared sorrow. The rain of, of hardship has fallen on us all, some in our congregation, greatly. Just like all other segments of society, I know within our congregation this year, so many have been forced to suffer in profound ways. 
No, what makes life different for the faithful Christian is that we know the surprising and life-giving things that can happen through suffering because we know the child. Understanding who the child was who was given at Christmas, the suffering that he boldly faced and how he changed it all, means you're able to change your perspective on suffering. It changes how you look at hurts, sins, death, missed wants and sorrows. Suffering becomes an opportunity to grow in faith, to rely on him more richly. Our saving Lord becomes the most essential thing in our day and lives, even if others declare him non-essential. In this past year's year, I've had conversations with a for instance, a Muslim imam, Bruce and I had a, an awesome experience with a, a Buddhist who ha- is getting his doctorate in Buddhism. I don't know what that even means. But, and, and people of other faiths or claim to be atheists or what have you. And do you know the one thing that disarms the array of challengers to Christianity in the world sphere? It's that the false gods they believe in are always a remote God or no God at all. A God suspended in space like a satellite just beaming messages from afar. And what good is a God like that? Why listen to a God who cannot relate to us? I mean, we all get these phone calls about our car warranty expiring. And what do we do when we get those phone calls? Do we say, oh, I was looking forward to you calling yet again this week. No, we don't do that. We hang up the phone. First off, my car is under warranty, but we hang up the phone. They can't relate to us. They don't even know our situation. But when the world creates false god, they create telemarketer gods. And those kind of gods are just the gods that are born out of human imagination. And they're not worth anything more than hanging up on. Because the God they offer you cannot relate to you. Just a force that's out there. It's like Mother Nature and the like. But Christmas has come again. And it's time once more with, for those who have ears to hear to be reminded of the fact that a child has been gifted to us by our God who loves us so much he took on vulnerable human flesh and allowed himself to suffer so that he might save us in a life that is to come. It is through him that we can have increasing light and joy and happiness in even seemingly dark times, in 2020 kind of times, even when all other segments of society have given up, raised their hands to despair. Because we have come to learn through the power of the Holy Spirit that if we have Him, we have all we need. Not necessarily all we want in any given moment, but ultimately if we have the child, we have all we need. And as our days advance and we get closer to that last day of our mortal life, we as Christians have a living hope. And we can still defy the odds, thriving in our communities and finding ourselves growing in greater confidence in a world that is often set against us. And while we might groan and grumble 
and endure momentary afflictions at the end of all things, whether it's a hard day, a difficult week, a challenging year, or outwardly a life that is just full of suffering. In the end of all our mortal days, what awaits us is a glorious God who came as a child in order to save us from such suffering. I call on all of those with ears to hear, come adore him on this present night. For with him, even while the darkness closes in, a greater light is found, and the darkness will never overcome it. This once child, we now know, is the greatest gift of all, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Let us pray. Gracious Father, we praise you on this night for the fact that here in a year where so much has changed, our place of rescue, our hope, is found in Jesus Christ. It's found in the one who came and made a manger, the most glorious throne room ever. And it's found on the one who is stricken and suffered on the cross for our sins. And it's found in the glorious truth of the hope of Easter morning that Christ is risen. And in that fullness of your Son's work, Lord, is found peace, joy, hope, and love. And so we pray, Lord, that we are ever increasing in our faith and our love for the glorious gift of Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen.